three, two, one. All right, everybody, welcome back to Icons, Influencers, and Inspirations. My name is Sandy Srami. Excited as hell today to have a very special guest, somebody that uh, I've gotten to know over the course of the last year and a half, made a, uh, an immediate impression upon me just because of the way not only he carries himself, but the way he thinks, the way he posits things uh, in, in such a way that is really counterintuitive to what most people uh, think about these days. He always brings a fresh uh, and different perspective uh, than the same old, same old. So I want to bring on my man, Mr. David Spizak. David, welcome to Icons. Thanks so much, Sandy. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, my friend. I, I think, truthfully, David, you check uh, all three of the boxes. And we talk about Icons, influencers, and inspirations. Uh, for me, for sure, and I know a lot of other folks out there, you check all three boxes. Uh, and you and I have gotten a chance to know each other because of our mutual friend, Scott Joseph, We've had a myriad number of mutual connections over the years. Um, your story is amazing to me, so I want to you know, get into that a little bit. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about uh, today, You know what David Spizak is all about today. What does life look like for you, your family? What does an average day look like? Talk a little bit about what life is like for David Spizak these days. Um, in a word, busy. Um, it is, I don't know any other way, Sandy, but to be busy, um, I am the... Uh, I think of myself as a, a lifetime white belt as the um, worker bee, you know, <laughs> as that as that ant digging through the hill. Um, I don't know any other way. I one thing that has allowed me, I'm sure, uh, to experience some level of success is the fact that long ago I fell in love with the grind and the journey and the hustle, not the stuff and the prizes, you know, and the things that most people will think about when they set a goal. Um, and so when you ask me about a typical day, it's busy. You know, I've, my wife and I, we've got a six-year-old and a seven-year-old, um, Jagger and Jackson, respectively. And I always refer to them as my Category 4 tornado and my Category 5 hurricane. Um, that They have two speeds, man. They just have all in and asleep. That's it. And, and I think that's uh, a little bit um, reflective of how we are. So it's busy. So we typically get up at 5 a.m., um, start out by working out. First thing, getting a sweat on. Uh, just feels good to sweat. It feels good at 62 after being a, a uh, weekend warrior for decades and doing a pretty good job of destroying my body um, and not really understanding back when I was 20s and 30s how to take care of it the way we've learned how to do it today. Um, I just feel really good being able to move and being able to do get on the Peloton bike or the tread or a rower or do something, plyometrics, do anything just to mm -hmm. get the blood going. Um, it just kind of shakes you up and wakes you up. Uh, but the other thing it does, it frankly gives you a dose of, of I think, self-esteem or confidence just right off the bat in the morning, just knowing that you did that and it's in the books. From there, I tend to uh, sit down and just read uh, a bit, um, typically for a half an hour to an hour to get kind of caught up with what's going on in the industry, get caught up with some emails, things of that nature. Um, I've already planned my day the night before. That's really important to note. Yep. Um, the morning is not the time to plan your day because by that time, by the time you jump on your proverbial treadmill at work, it's already going 10 miles an hour and you're just trying to keep up. So I do that the night before. And so by the time I get done with that, it's time to jump in. My Typically, my first meetings in the day are starting at 7 a.m. 
and I do business across uh, multiple time zones, as a lot of people do these days. So everywhere from Spain, and um, I've got a development team who's the most amazing group of people in the Ukraine. Uh, I've learned so much from them, and, and um, they are just uh, such impressive human beings. I'm very fortunate uh, to have them on the team. But I've got clients from uh, you know Hawaii to uh, New York and a couple of international as well. So I tend to have a, a relatively long uh, day, but here's the beauty. If you're doing what you love to do, if anybody harkens back to when they were a kid and whether you were in love with playing GI Joe or Barbies or army men or hot wheels or whatever it was, whatever you were into at that time, we all remember the time that our parents said, Hey, come, you know, come to dinner, come to lunch, come here. And we just begged them for five more minutes. Can I have five more? Five more minutes. Five yeah. more minutes. Just five more minutes. I'm like that today, Sandy. Um, and I'm happy to say that I've been doing what I love to do uh, for decades now. And that also I have found to be a key. So get up early, work out, um, get my mind ready, take in some knowledge, assimilate a few things, uh, jump into my first meetings, and it's go time uh, from there. You know, Dave, you reference uh, the need at this point because we've got a global economy and you're touching so many different parts of the world, so many different time zones, and you've got to be flexible in terms of how you allot your time in order to accommodate, obviously, the, the other parties, if you will. Uh, do you find that there's a point in time throughout the course of the day where you're most productive? Is morning time most productive for you? Do you find yourself later on in the day? Where do you see your most productive moments and why do you think that's the case? I'm curious. You know, um, it's a great question. Um, I think it, I think it uh, can vary, obviously, for, for many people. But I think for a lot of us, um, your most productive times will be in the morning uh, yeah. when your brain is bright and shiny and it hasn't gotten kind of bogged down with um, noise, data, information, meetings, um, mm -hmm expectations that you have for yourself um you know just just things that are on your list that you got to get done so for me you know when i start out i'd say from seven to noon seven to one is probably like the high point in terms of efficiency and productivity <clears throat> the afternoon's interesting um i i find that for whatever the reason well start here I'm on the West Coast, Sandy. A lot of my clients are on the East Coast. Right. And so by the time I get to two o'clock, there's, I don't find it's, and it's interesting to me. You know, when I ask people, hey, what time do you want to meet? Uh, get on a call or get onto a Zoom uh, call. I've, it's very rarely that anybody goes beyond 1 p.m. or 2 p.m. Right. Uh, and it's, it's interesting. And I think obviously they're getting towards the end of their day, they're wrapping up. Um, and so that actually works out fine because then the clients I have in Hawaii or the West Coast, uh, mountain time, and in those time zones, it really frees me up to focus there. And that's another thing that I've learned over the years is I try to stay um, in concert with those time zones so that they're not conflicting. Um, so the East Coast time zones or when you go international, I tend to go very early in the morning, 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., get those out of the way. Uh, East coasters, 
think about that. If I want to hit them at their most productive time, those are typically going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 7 a.m. and 10 a.m. And so that's when the majority of those meetings happen. But I tend to stay pretty uh, highly, highly productive, uh, mostly in that in those morning hours. Yeah, I think it works out well, you know, for you, just in terms of where you are geographically uh, and, and how it fits into your schedule. I've noticed and I can't speak for you, but I can tell you that for me over the course of the last 10 to 12 years, I've noticed that that's changed for me. I've, I've become far more productive in the morning than I am later on in the day. I think a lot of it is taking in so much information and investing so much time. I, I, I love to connect with people. So that requires a lot of energy, a lot of focus, a lot of listening skills. And so I find myself most productive in the mornings as well. And I think a lot of people have to kind of find their sweet spot. I think I don't want to be age discriminatory, but I noticed that as, as I've gotten older, that I'm better earlier in the day and I can better serve clients earlier in the day. But I also have to adjust uh, to West Coast because I'm on the East Coast to West Coast clients uh, and their calendar as well. And so you've got to be able to, I think, you know, adjust accordingly in order to, to properly serve and effectively serve. Yeah, I think at the end of the I think when it's all said and done for all of us, we have to have that time um, to focus on, dedicate to information, uh, investigation, exploration, um, those times, implementation. And then the other period of time, you have to be able to dedicate to execution, right? Uh, monitoring, Absolutely. measuring, executing, uh, things of that nature. And you've got to be able to have both um, as you go through each day or you're going to find I think that you're going to fall short or get out of balance very quickly. So I, th I think that that's uh, an important thing to keep in mind. You know, I, I used to stay up so late, Sandy. I mean, I'm by nature, I am the proverbial night owl. I mean, by, my DNA is- David, to I'm going to ask you this question. Were you a hellion uh, growing up in, in your 20s and 30s? Were you a guy that was no. hard work and hard play? Oh, well, hard work all in, 100%. Right. But I grew up- I grew up um, very early, I think, you know, I had to, I had to grow up earlier than average because I didn't have the experience or the benefit of what would be termed a normal childhood where you get, right. it was not leave it to beaver in your household. No, you don't, you know, there wasn't much time to be a kid. I think mm. I was able to be a kid until I was probably about maybe seven years old. Mm -hmm. uh, eight years old, maybe at best. And then it was growing up really, really fast because you had to, because mm -hmm. of circumstances. Um, and that kind of uh, continued on, you know, through high school. And then I went into the service and um, you grow up, you know, continue to grow up really fast. You know, your mom, right. your mama's not at, <laughs> your mama's not to show up at boot camp. There's no warm, right? warm, cozy place to uh, retire. To yeah. Nobody's tucking you into bed in boot camp. And then, by the time I got out, the combination of having to grow up early as a child and, and you know, getting just a massive dose of accountability and responsibility um, uh, indoctrinated, I mean, being indoctrinated into that, um, those belief systems and those attributes in a big way in the service. By the time I got out of the service, man, I, I was probably 45 years old in terms mm -hmm. of my brain. Yep. And um, uh, I think it was, let me just think about this for a second. Um, uh, I got, I got married probably, I think it was 
roughly within a year, year and a half of getting out of the service. Um, mm -hmm. I had, I had a baby within two years of getting out of the service. So I was, you know, needed by the age of 23, I had to be a full, full on adult, yeah. uh, like a lot of people have to be. Um, and at that point, you know, I fell into a job in the car business and I was all in there. So I was working 60, 70 hours a week and I really didn't know any other way, but to be completely honest, I liked it. Um, if I didn't like it, it would have been different, but mm -hmm. I liked it. So, um, and I think that, you know, as I think about it now, when you work those long hours in the car business and you get done at 10 o'clock at night, you get home at 1030 or 11 o'clock, you know, that certainly supported, um, or was in sync with the fact that I was somebody who typically stayed up till at least one in the morning, every single night. Um, it was very hard for me to, to kind of wind down, to come down. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, but you had to pop up the next day to, you know, go up and do it again or to be dad and, and right. do what you had to do on the home front. Yeah, no. And, and I, I listen, I, I'm a big fan of your podcast. So I want to plug it right now. The David Spizak show Thank uh, you. for any of our audience that has not had a chance to catch it. You need to catch the David Spizak show because I think that your content is outstanding. You talk about insane curiosity and, and conversations that just lead to breakthroughs. Uh, you had Diana Lee of Constellation on recently, and the two of you talked about how you grew up and the similarities that you both uh, had experienced growing up and how it shaped you. And I think that speaks to exactly what you're talking about. You know, coming out of the service, getting married so young, having a child at such a young age, you were already preconditioned based on how you grew up to take care of people. You had a responsibility to, I think, take care of your older and younger siblings, if I'm not mistaken, correct? That's true. Um, you know, when you when you find yourself in circumstances in life, regardless of age, um, that demand certain responses. What's really interesting to me is that in the moment, you are really just reacting and responding. Mm -hmm. You're not necessarily in that moment, uh, taking the time to really understand or try to determine what the implications of, of that response or, or that particular situation, how is that going to shape you a year two years, five years from now? And so even when we go through things in life that are incredibly difficult, challenging, terrible, hard, mm -hmm. um, in the moment, uh, the reality is that more times than not, it's going to shape us and forge us in a way that's going to allow us to frankly do better to be happier, to be more resilient, to be stronger, uh, to be more innovative, to be more creative, because you have to. And, and so, so many of the times those things happen, it, it does turn out that they're a blessing in disguise. And I've come to, to the realization or the belief, I should say, Sandy, that children that have an incredibly hard time growing up, frankly, I believe are predisposed to have a, a a much better life and to be better equipped to handle the ups and downs of life than somebody who never had to face adversity uh, through their entire childhood. I would agree with you a thousand percent, David. The, the one a thought that I would add to that is that, you know, and you talked about it with Diana as well, when you talked about, and I, I've heard you talk about this in multiple different podcasts where you could have two people or multiple people growing up in the same household under similar conditions, yet have completely different outlooks and pursue completely different paths in life. And so uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit about that because 
while you looked at the survival mechanism, which was I've got to you know get through the day, I've got to do the things I need to do in order to quote unquote survive, set you up to thrive later on in life. That's not always the case. You know, there are uh, you know literally tens of millions of stories, if not hundreds of millions of stories in history, where people did not respond the way that you did, and and those that have achieved uh, incredible success. What do you think it is that is the differentiation piece? Uh, that determines that. You talk about the ifs and the whens all the time, right? I've heard that multiple times, which I love. It's such a great way of framing uh, people and and what they can achieve and what they have a possibility or a destiny for. Talk about that. Well, for anybody who hasn't heard those me talk about those terms before, I believe that you can categorize everybody in this world who's trying to pursue something into one of two categories, an if or a when, right? And if is uh, somebody that you meet, that you size them up, you hear their story, you listen to them, you observe their attitude, their, you know, the prevailing attitudes, their outlook, uh, you observe their level of discipline, commitment, energy, focus, and you can sit there and you literally can say, okay, well, is this person an if or a when? Meaning, if you categorize them as an if, there's kind of a 50-50 chance that they're going to make it not necessarily make it in life, but in terms of making it to whatever goal objective they happen to have mm -hmm. at that particular uh, time. A when is as implied somebody who it's, there's little doubt they're going to get there. It's simply a matter of when. Now, here's what's interesting. <clears throat> you think that all you have to do is become a when, right? And that's going to be transformative. And right. to a great degree, it is transformative because when you go from an if to a when, that only happens when uh, you are really leveling up some of the most important attributes uh, in, in, in success. When you look at people that are successful, they are committed, they are disciplined, they are focused, um, you know, they are self-actualizing, right? Um, they do fall in love with the grind. There's a lot of things in there that are great. Um, but when you get to be a when, now it's a matter of, okay, these people, there's no doubt they should make it. The question is, will they? And what is that going to be dependent on is going to be, do they have now, can they activate two other important attributes, patience and perseverance? Yeah. Right. Do they, are, do they have a relentless nature? Give me somebody who's a when, who has a relentless nature, and now they're a lock. So you're going to go from an if to a when to a lock and yep. you become a lock when you, when you add those additional attributes in there. So I think that it's, it's very interesting. There's, I've always said there's only two reasons that any of us cannot accomplish literally anything we want to accomplish. It's either a lack of will or it's a lack of ability. And mm -hmm. if it's a lack of ability, you coach, you train, you get a coach rather, or you train, you study, you learn, you assimilate more knowledge. Um, you, you do the things that you need to do to improve yourself in whatever way you need to do that. If it's a lack of will, that's a completely different situation now. So let's go back and talk about the ifs. What's the difference between an if and a when one of the most dominant ones uh, or pronounced ones, I should say, in my estimation is just self-belief. It's just that. You know, there's a psychological term called self-efficacy and self-efficacy simply means um, it's the belief that you have in your ability to bring something about. 
And the reality is self-efficacy is going to dictate um, whether you are going to pursue something or not. And, you know, I've, I've been working with over 3,500 entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, salespeople, real estate agents, business people over the course of the last year alone. And when I look at this group of incredibly bright, talented, smart, um, experienced people, you know, some of them are going to achieve levels up here. And some of them in the same period of time are still struggling. You know, they're stuck. They plateau. Just like when you work out and you're trying to lose weight. You know, I recently lost relatively quickly about 10, 11 pounds. And I thought, okay, I'm motoring. I need to do another 10. And then it just flattened out. Yep. And, the, and as we know, when you, when you work out, your body starts to adjust. And, and as you work out and you start to lose weight, start to tone up, you're going to have to change your regimen. You're going to have to change your approach. You're going to have to start, maybe you're moving from uh, cardio to plyometrics. Maybe you're going from plyometrics to heavy weights to kettlebells. Maybe you're going from that to something else. And it's the same way in life. So a lot of people, it's not that they don't have the capability, Sandy. I think that they oftentimes either cannot get out of their own way, number mm -hmm. one. Number two, at the end of the day, they have to face the reality that they had enough belief to get here. That's it. But they don't have the level of belief to think they could go from, say, 50 to 100, 100 to right. half a million, a half a million to 10 million. And it's interesting. So some people will hit that ceiling at $35,000, $40,000. Some people will hit that ceiling at $2 million. And they're like, they did great. They hit the million dollars, which is very difficult to do, that first million. But then they stopped. They didn't see themselves. And I'll tell you where that plays out. You see people start companies that we hear of in the news. And they started a company and it did really well. And then they got fired from their own company. They ended up getting a board of directors and the board right. of directors fired them. And the typical reason they fired them is they simply don't have what it takes to move that company forward from wherever it is. And maybe it's a $100 million company and you go, well, geez, what's wrong with that? Well, I'll tell you what's wrong with that. The investors that came in maybe at $100 million kind of want to see it go up to $300 million, $500 million, a billion. That's how they make their money. They're not okay with $100 million. It's not good enough anymore. So that's where I think it's a, it tends to be a challenge is, you know, do you have the ability to continue to increase the level of belief that you have in yourself, in your abilities to bring something about? Mm -hmm. So that's what typically, to me, separates the if from the when. No, it's such a great point. You know, we talk about belief systems, right? And um, a lot of times that's, that is self-limiting beliefs. Ultimately you talked before about, um, folks having some, the, the persistence piece and the perseverance. And you also mentioned the word urgency, right? So we talk about that very often where I, I think you have to have that perfect blend, if you will, of that balance is a word you used before of a daily sense of urgency to, to grind it out, to do the little things that are necessary that you need to repeat each and every day, each and every week, each and every month, and then allow yourself the patience that almost like that thousand year thinking of the Chinese that they talk about all the time to allow the results to catch up with all of those little things that you've been doing 
over time. And I think where people very often get lost is they don't see the result as quickly as they would have expected. And then they start to either slow down or stop altogether the things that are going to drive them towards that ultimate goal or the success that they seek. And so they lose momentum, something that we talk about uh, a lot. Big momentum, I think, loves to get fed. I use a of uh, uh, an analogy of Clifford the Big Red Dog. And you've got a couple little guys at home. They probably know who Clifford the Big Red Dog is. But big momentum is no different. It likes to get fed. And so I think, you know, taking the time to understand and, and see those little things adding up over time, the compound effect, as Darren already says, or the slight edge, uh, another great book, you know, having the patience to allow the, the results to catch up with your efforts. You know, another thing you talk about, David, which I find so fascinating is you talk about curiosity, you talk about counterintuition, um, you talk about rule breakers, uh, you talk about people that have really achieved wild success uh, as innovators. Talk a little bit about the good side of breaking the rules and then also what to avoid in terms of breaking the rules, because there's a difference. There's great rule breakers out there, and there are ones that get that all wrong and think about breaking any rule is okay. Yeah, I, let me start with this. I'm going to go back. I'm going to hit a couple things. First of all, I think one of the greatest superpowers any human can possess is curiosity. I've really come to know that. Amen. The older Amen. that I get. Um, you know, uh, a superfood is classified as a superfood because it has the ability to do not one thing. You know, like sometimes they say, well, if you eat this, it will improve this. If it eats this, it supports this. Mm -hmm. But then you have other foods, you know, that are very high up, say kale, for example, that somebody will eat that and it does a multitude of things, mm -hmm. hence making the, creating the term superfood. So I think that curiosity is a superpower for the same reason. Um, first and foremost, curiosity and arrogance can't live in the same human. Amen. Okay. So there's three things I have no time uh, or tolerance for. Um, one is arrogance, one is politics, and one is manipulation. Mm -hmm. I don't see any benefit in the three. I don't know of anybody, regardless of what they've achieved in life, uh, that would give them license, in my, in my opinion, to take on one or more of those and to start engaging in them. Now, you take somebody like Elon Musk, uh, somebody may perceive him as being arrogant, and perhaps he is a bit. So you know, at a third of a trillion dollars, maybe that guy's <laughs> earned a little bit of a license. To, uh, I would think so. To have some degree of arrogance. A little um, bit, just but, a little bit, David. But, but I really don't think at the core of him, he is. And I'll tell you that because, you know, if he was, he would have, he would have co-founded PayPal and stopped. Hmm. He would have co-founded Tesla and stopped, Solar City and stopped, SpaceX and stopped, the boring company and stopped. He's not stopping. And by the way, for anybody listening, it's not the money, you know, for everybody that's out there that says, well, how much money does this guy need? He doesn't need any. Honestly, here's the, the interesting thing. The truth is that guy doesn't need any money. He owns no possessions. He has no assets. He doesn't have a home. Uh, he doesn't care about those things. And the truth is it was never about the money. It was about the pursuit. It was about the journey. It was about the accomplishment and then clearly this guy has got an insane level of curiosity, right? And he's bolting that together with a pretty insane level of belief. This dude literally believes he's going to have uh, an inhabitant at some point on the, on the uh, planet on of Mars. Mars. 
yep. right? And it's for that reason that he lives in what's referred to as a tiny home. That's a prefabricated home that can be put up very quickly. It's 400 square feet uh, in the middle of nowhere on SpaceX property. That's 45 minutes, a 45 minute drive from the closest civilization. Right. And he's doing that because he wants to replicate. What would it be like to live on Mars, to go outside and there's literally nothing there. And he doesn't imagine homes with white picket fences and high rise condos. He imagines it's very utilitarian, right? So insane curiosity is powerful because it will keep you from being arrogant. Second thing you mentioned earlier, it gives you this insane thirst for knowledge, right? This just really genuine, not, hey, I want to know so I can prove that I'm right on something. No, like I just need to know. And the more that you uh, are able to go out there and accumulate more and more knowledge, knowledge is power uh, provided you add activity, some kind of action to it. But that's a big one as well. So curiosity is a, is a, is a big, big deal, um, Sandy, in the, in the mix there. And then um, there was, what was the other thing you were talking about? Well, I talked about, about counterintuition and, oh, and counterintuitive thinking. I came to really love uh, to understand and fall in love with counterintuitive thinking, you know, in my uh, really, I would say it was in my late twenties and in my early thirties um, because I started challenging uh, traditional thinking. And the reason being the basis for that is if I followed traditional thinking, I was going to get a traditional outcome and a traditional outcome could otherwise be known as, average right so um you know for example hey go get a good job so you could live a comfortable life why would <laughs> anybody one of the greatest want myths ever perpetrated life? on the american public by the way david it's absolute utter bullshit it's it why would you want a comfortable life there's no glory in comfortable right name Name one of the world's greatest athletes, you know, that you could think of that's living a couple. Can you Not just today. imagine, you know, one of those great, I'm sure Michael Phelps is sitting around eating a few bags of fire, you know, hot Cheetos on a couch. He probably did that every day for 15 <laughs> right. years as he right. was pursuing those 20 something gold medals. No, he lived an uncomfortable childhood. He started right. swimming at seven. I had the pleasure of uh, meeting his sister's. Uh, Whitney and Hillary years and years and years ago. And so really getting to understand some things about Michael, but to really understand where they came from, they came from his sister, they came from his mom, mm -hmm. but he lived an uncomfortable life, right? That created an extraordinary outcome. So that's counterintuitive. Another one is, you know, you, you grow up being told, don't be selfish, don't be selfish, don't be selfish. And I kind of feel like Andy Rooney should have stepped in the room, um, and said, here's the rest of the story. Right. Okay. Yes, your parents said, don't be selfish. However, you know, there's no chance of getting to the best version of yourself without taking time for yourself. Absolutely. So is it selfish if you are doing something for yourself with the intention of creating the best version of yourself so that you can give the best version of yourself I, to I, your I, family, I, to your husband, to your wife, to your partner, to your kids, to your community, to your job, to your employees. No, it's not. So, but that, so that was a lie, right? Um, another one is, hey, you need balance in life. You know, whoever came up with that one, what a crock that is. Right? Well, because I think when you talk about balance, most people think it's got to be 50-50. 
right? And that's not what true balance is in the real world. No, and the reality is balance by definition says you have to count, you have to counter, right? You have to counteract one thing to achieve balance overall. Well, okay, well, if you're one of the 73% of people in the world who doesn't like what they do for a living, is dissatisfied, is unhappy, right. is unfulfilled, you're going to counterbalance it by screaming, thank God it's Friday around four or five o'clock on a Friday. You're going to go meet up with all your friends. You're going to go have a few drinks. Nothing wrong with that. Have right. a great time. Or you're going to go out with friends that night, Friday night, or you're going to have big plans to maybe go kayak or something that's going to counterbalance, counteract the things you don't like. Yep. But what if you're living a fulfilled life? What if you're an entrepreneur who's doing what you love to do? What if you're happy for the majority of that week? Do you want to count? Am I supposed to counterbalance that, counteract that with something I don't like to teach myself a lesson? No, it doesn't yeah. make any sense, right? So there's a lot of things in life to where counterintuitive thinking is, is not only worth considering, I think that it's actually vital. And, you know, there was a great Seinfeld episode yep. uh, with uh, George Costanza sitting in the in the booth in the diner and uh, uh, some really beautiful woman turned around, was looking at him. And Elaine, the character, says, hey, that woman is looking at you. Why don't you go say hi? And he goes, no, I, I couldn't possibly say hi. And Jerry says, well, you know, if everything you've been doing in your life is wrong, do the opposite. Yep. And you see George literally have an epiphany. And he says, yes, <laughs> I will do the opposite. He's a snap of the fingers, right? Yes. For the rest of that episode, the guy's yeah. like a superhuman. <laughs> Everything he does is One of amazing. my favorite Seinfeld episodes, by the way. Right? So counterintuitive thinking, I think, is absolutely brilliant. And at the, at the end of the day, listen, I tell this to companies all the time. I tell it to leaders. I tell it to people. If... Take an assessment, take inventory of where you are right now, right here, right now, as you're listening to this. And if it's not where you want to be, whatever plan you're using that got you here, you know, give it a kiss, say thank you, and throw it in the trash because yep. that's where it belongs. It's done as much as it's going to do. And you need to get a different plan. And so if you're thinking as an extension of that, has always brought you to the circumstance you're in now, why not explore, look into, and start activating counterintuitive thinking? And here's the thing. The next time anybody hears something and they find themselves leaning back in the chair or crossing their arms or mentally pushing back saying, that's, that's absolute baloney, that's BS, that's never going to work. Write it lean down in. and make a commitment to lean in because there is your gateway to greatness. I, I, I so love uh, the thread of, of this conversation and where you just went. And I'll reference Seinfeld because it's one of my favorite shows of all time. You know, you talked about the fact that, you know, it's OK if you want to be. Well, I'm going to use the F and F and the S and S. A lot of folks in this world have been sold on the, the myth that if you are safe and secure, you're going to be happy. And the truth of the matter is, is when you're free and fulfilled is when you really experience true happiness in your life. And so if you want to be safe and secure, that's okay. Uh, to quote Seinfeld, I'll say not that there's anything wrong with that, right? That's right. But the truth of the matter is, is true 
uh, happiness in, in my experience. And, and when I watch people like you and I am a wildly curious student of people just like yourself, people like Grant Cardone, people that have achieved incredible success by doing what other people won't do. You talk about it as, as the uncommon, which I love, right? As you talk about as the uncommon folks that are out there, the uncommon actions and activities that they are involved in, uh, that they commit to. And it's so contrarian to what everybody else believes is the right path to pursue. And, and a lot of it is just conditioning, right? It's, it's what they see and hear or have seen and heard for decades. It's almost all conditioning. And yeah, you, know, you could be conditioned externally, you know, friends, family. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that their friends um, uh, are not helping them. I'll just say it that way. Okay. And I'm not family saying too. Did, David, not it's saying not just friends, family too, that are sitting, sitting there and thing, that are, limiting beliefs on, uh, on their behalf. Well, the reality is, you know, uh, it's funny. Uh, you know, there's three subjects you're not supposed to talk about, right? Uh, politics, they say, and religion is one and sex is another. Um, but you know, you're not supposed to walk around the world um, you, you could have whatever level of faith you have in your religion, but it tends to be a quiet belief. The minute that you start going out and trying to blister other people with your belief systems from a religious perspective, you're going to notice people are going to start backing away from you. Right. right. And, um, but yet when we have people in our lives inflict upon us, their belief systems, their limiting beliefs, um, and they do it oftentimes under the premise that they're trying to protect you. Yes. But here's the reality. They are protecting you. They're protecting you from your best life ever. Right. They're protecting Absolutely. you from happiness. Yeah. They're protecting yes. you from wealth. They're protecting you from wild levels of success because they don't have you. Remember that self-actualization or the self-efficacy? Their self-efficacy, they transfer to you. And so if they have a, a level of self-efficacy that doesn't allow them to pursue certain things, to be completely free, to pursue anything, they're going to share you know, their beliefs. And what they're really doing is they're doing a transference of self-efficacy to you. And once yeah, you they're, own they're that- They're projecting, yeah. They're projecting. That's it. You yeah. have to choose- you have to remember this, no matter what you hear in your life, from the time you're a kid to the time you die, okay? If somebody says anything about you that characterizes you or they say this is possible, that's not possible, whatever, you have a choice to sanction that remark or not. And the reality is as a kid, we didn't know any better. We thought we were told, hey, listen to your elders, right? right? Well, what if the elder was an idiot? What if the elder, you know, uh, didn't didn't accomplish a damn thing in their life? What if the elder, you know, was constantly getting in trouble? What if the elder was constantly in trouble with the law? Oh, I got to listen to my elders. Okay, we so we do that. Okay, what if the elder was actually a very fine human being, but had incredibly limiting beliefs to him? What if the elder was a teacher in middle school or high school? Well, they got a diploma on their wall. They must be smart. I should listen to that person. Well, maybe you should listen to them when it comes to social studies, but not in terms of your beliefs of what is possible. And in fact, uh, I re recently had a podcast with a, a, a gentleman named Marcus Harvey, 
remarkable guy, 32 years old from the Portland area. I met him about five, six years ago, started a company called Portland Gear. I saw that. Yep. And he's literally, uh, he got, he has the Instagram handle Portland and he literally in a, in a city that, as you know, has been mischaracterized oftentimes in the last year, two years. And it's really full of some really incredible people. It's a stunningly beautiful place. There's a lot of good things about it. But he literally changed the face of it. He changed the personality. He changed people's sense of pride, just like people that wear a New York Yankee hat mm -hmm. or, or, God forbid, uh, you know, a Dodger hat. Um, <laughs> I'm a Giants fan. Sorry, Dodger. Yeah, I know. Uh, but, you know, he, he changed it. And where did that come from? It came from a teacher that he had that gave him the reins of the student store. And he woke up at the age of 18 learning that he actually had the ability to run a business, that he loved clothing, that he, and all that is what fueled that. So if you're fortunate enough to have that, and this is why Jim Rohn says the five people you surround yourself with is so critical. Absolutely. Because if those are the five people, one of his five people was his mother and his father who let him be, who let him chase what he wanted to chase. Another one, the third one was this teacher in high school. Well, he had five people that fueled him without ever knowing that those that that was a dynamic that even was possible or existed. So as a kid, you didn't know that. As an adult, you do. The question is, will you do something about it? And that's, to me, one of the toughest things, Sandy, is I find the other thing other than belief, self-belief, people struggle with the concept of being brutally honest with themselves. Oh my God. You know, you're, you're in my head right now because I, I wanted to let you finish that thought because you, you're speaking absolute gems right now. And I, I'm so excited for the audience to have a chance to sit and really digest this, this episode and listen to it multiple times because you're going to go back and hear so much that David has shared with us. Uh, David, you talk about Jim Rohn, right? So, one of my all-time favorites. He's my he's my number one all-time. I, I was introduced to him because I was involved in a network marketing business 12 years ago when I was literally, I needed money like I needed oxygen. We had gone through the GM bankruptcy proceeding. Mary and I had lost everything. We were, you know, 1.4 million upside down. And I just needed a way to to, to generate income to, to feed my family, quite honestly. And and I got introduced to Jim Rohn by a friend of mine, Joe Barricata. Um, changed my life. Changed my life because you talk about that level of curiosity. I've always had it. But what that led me to was to learn about who mentored Jim Rohn, who was J. Earl Schoff, who they called the millionaire maker uh, back in the early part of the 20th century, who mentored, by the way, not just Jim Rohn. He mentored Zig Ziglar and another very successful person, uh, Mary Kay Ash or Mary Kay Cosmetics, as most people, uh, the pink Cadillacs, they'll, they'll be able to recall. But that level of curiosity and and making certain that you surround yourself with the types of people that aren't going to put you in that prison of, of self-limiting beliefs is critical. They don't even have to be alive and, and kicking. They can be somebody that has recorded content that you can go back and reference. Um, but ultimately, it's sometimes it's less um, conspicuous and sometimes even more pernicious than just people trying to save you or keep you, you know, from harm, if you will, or because they've, if they've not experienced success at the level that you seek, it's like the crabs in the bucket. They're pulling you down because they don't necessarily want to see you achieve something that they didn't have either the guts 
or the will to go after? That's, that's a, it's a really important, boy, it's a really important thing to bring up. And I don't want to have, have it get lost with people. This is really important. The reason why I wanted to interject. Go. Is because another thing, self-belief, honesty, brutal honesty with yourself. And the third Self-awareness, thing, David. And the third thing is guts. And I'll tell you why. Growing takes guts. Elevating yep. takes guts. People think, oh, I see somebody in, in Instagram and so many of the people on Instagram are, are pretenders. They're posers. They're high, human highlight reels. They're not being honest in terms of what their, their whole life is. And, hey, that's their thing. They're trying to get likes. I get it. It's fine. But you shouldn't get lost in that. And, and the, the thing is, is that behind the scenes, if you talk to anybody, anybody who's achieved anything at all in their life, that's great. It took guts. And one of the toughest things is to understand that as you elevate, as you elevate, uh, in life, your friends are going to change. You're going to have people that were in your circle of friends here that when you elevated, it's almost like some of them are not okay with it. Some of them maybe uh, have a, a level of jealousy or a level yes. of discomfort yeah. in it. And so, or they don't want you to grow any higher because maybe they know inherently it, it, it will change the dynamic of the relationship. But I promise you, if you look at anybody at the highest levels of success right now, they do not have the friends that they had five nope. years ago or 10 years ago or longer. It takes guts. It's lonely sometimes. And that's why it does take perseverance. That's why it takes a relentless, um, uh, this, you have to have that, that attribute of relentlessness in order to be able to stay in it. And, and so that's something I, that you're bringing up that I just want to make sure that people understand. If you want greatness, your guts has got to come along for the ride. I, I couldn't agree more. You talked about in one of your uh, podcast episodes the fact that uh, the most successful people in the world actually chase failure. Okay. They do. They pursue and that's it. a fact. And, and it's interesting. Most people, I hate to use percentages, but if you want to talk about people always talk about the 97% and the 3% and the 99% and the 1%, the 1% steer into the storm. The 1% pursue failure. They know what's on the other side. They get it. Okay. The 97% will not only not do that, they will actually avoid it. Not understanding oh, yeah. that by avoiding failure, you're avoiding success. Ultimately. Absolutely. My, my right-hand guy, Ron Marble, who you know, Talks about great it guy. all the time. He is a great guy. He's a unicorn. I tell him all the time. Uh, I, he listen. He's my link to relevancy for the next fifteen to twenty years because he's you know twenty years my younger, but he's got just this old soul and old intelligence and an old emotional EQ uh, that most people his age don't have or haven't developed yet. But you know, he talks about what you just said all the time. It's it's so here. Here's the thing. Most people want to hear you've got to have guts and you've got to be quote unquote fearless and relentless. They're picturing like Jocko Willing putting a, a hunting knife in his teeth and swimming across the, the bay at night you know, with shark-infested waters to go save someone. That's not what you're talking about with respect to having guts. Having guts is knowing that you've got that feeling inside of you where you're like, I'm not really too sure this is going to work out. Like, holy shit, what if it doesn't? What's going to happen? The, the, the folks that are willing to take that risk have calculated the level of risk that they're going to be involved in. They know that they have the risk of failure, but they still go after it knowing that what's on the other side is going to be growth. 
and going to be an opportunity to, to pivot if they have to or make an adjustment to continue that relentless pursuit of what they are seeking to achieve in the first place. So here's a, I think, potentially a secret, something very important, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you're trying to go out there and grow a company and ultimately raise capital. So what you just talked about is the fact that, you know, at some point you're going to run into things that require guts. And if it requires guts, that means fear is likely an element, right? In other words, you don't need guts where fear doesn't exist. Fair? Okay. So... It's not that people that achieve great things don't have that same fear. They do. The irony is they do. The difference is, again, go back to the number one thing I said, self-belief. Okay, They have belief ultimately in themselves to do one of two things. Think about this, everybody. They have the belief in themselves to either accomplish that which they are pursuing or to survive the fact that they didn't. Yeah. Think about that for a second, because that's also a very different way of looking at things. We typically think of things in a very traditional fashion. I, if I, I have to have the guts, I have to believe I can do it or else. Okay. No, you have to have the belief that you could do it or that you could survive it. And yeah. if you have the, if you have that level of belief, think about it. There's literally nothing you won't pursue. Now, here's the reason I bring it up and I called out specifically entrepreneurs, people that ultimately want to go out and raise capital. It's because if you talk to any venture capitalist, okay, they invest in companies, in products. But the number one thing, if you ask any venture capitalist they're investing in is what? The person. The person. The they founder. They always tell me, David, we look at the team. Why do they look at the team? Because they need to make certain that they're seeing exactly what I just mentioned. If they believe, if they see that those people have provided evidence that they have that deep level of self-belief, conviction, discipline, drive, relentless nature, they're going to give them the money because they're betting on the person. They're not betting on the product. Absolutely. I've had conversations like that a lot over the last 15 years of my life and my career and that is absolutely spot on. It's purpose, right? It's knowing exactly why you're there and what drives you each and every day. And then having, as you said before, persistence. And we keep throwing these words around and they're they're somewhat cliche because they're true, right? We hear them so very often. But the reason we hear them so very often is because we're studying those that have achieved high levels of success. And these are the common threads, personality traits and characteristics that they all pr- represent. You talked about Ilan before. He's my favorite right now. He's the guy that I'm watching a lot and listening to a whole lot because what he says, if you if you parse through what he's saying, because he's his intelligence is at such an incredibly high level that sometimes you have to parse through and he you have to get to the simplistic message that he's trying to deliver to you. But when you talk before about the fact that it wasn't about the money for him, he evidenced that for each and every one of us. You take a look at the 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 level of investment he was willing to make personally. He took everything that he made in PayPal to invest in the next company. Everything that he made in Solar City to create Tesla, to create all the other businesses. He nearly went bankrupt in 2008 because his Tesla investors said, we're done, we don't want to give you any more money. He had to feed money into uh, Solar City. He had to feed money into SpaceX. He had to feed money into Tesla, three different companies to keep him afloat. 
But to your point, that dude is all, all in, in all in every single day. And that's another really critical attribute is to be all, are you all in every single day? And again, think about it. Let's go back to self-belief. How could you be all in? I have people that say, oh man, I'm all in. Really? But you won't pursue this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you either are all in or you're not. You can't be all in if you don't have the self-belief to back it up. And by the way, we're coming up on the touch, top of the hour, but there's one other thing that's so critically important. <clears throat> if I was to call out a fourth thing, and that's comparison. <clears throat> People make the mistake too often today, and social media is feeding it, to compare themselves to other people sure. with other circumstances. And it, and it can be a fatal flaw. It's not just potentially damaging. It, for some people, it's fatal. I don't mean fatal in terms of it's going to kill them, but it's going to kill their ability to pursue or to achieve what they want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And it's just so important, Sandy, that you know if you're going to make a comparison, when you set a goal, right? When you set a goal uh, and you write it down and you break it down into the dailies, you've got to do all those things. Set a goal, break it down into the dailies, and then you've got to pursue the dailies. But once you have the dailies figured out, you no longer pursue the goal. You pursue the dailies. Most people pursue the goal. They say, oh, I want that car. I want that boat. I want that house. I want this. I want that. And they come up short more times than not. But if they just simply focus on the dailies and all, and you don't want to focus on the goal because even comparing current you with that future you can be damaging. Because if you don't Absolutely. have the level of belief and self-efficacy that you need, what's going to happen is in your own mind, whether you want it to or not, your brain, your, your subconscious is going to start taking actions to protect your ego, protect your self-esteem. And the way it does that is it's like when you watch a, a football player cornerback get beat very badly and they end up with that loser's limp, they call it, right? All of a sudden, they yeah. come up lame with a, ah, my hamstring, <laughs> after they got beat by 30 yards by a receiver. But, you know, your, your, your subconscious is so powerful and so brilliant. And like anything in life, you can learn how to leverage that for the good, positive, but left to its own devices, it's just going to do what it does, what it's supposed to do. And yeah. so that comparison game is something I would also tell people to, to, to avoid for sure. It's, it's, listen, I talk about the six inch space in between our ears as either uh, the, the most dangerous and deadly minefield that you can ever walk through or the most fertile soil that you'll ever plant the seed of an idea in. And the choice is ultimately ours. Um, and, and comparison uh, using something like social media is a minefield, in my opinion. I couldn't agree with you more. There's too much of the hype and and um, uh, you know skin deep uh, promotion that goes on as a result of social media. But it's only an amplification of society today. Unfortunately, the truth it of the is. matter is, is you got to have a, a high level of self awareness to know who you are truly at, at your core. You said before to be honest with yourself. You know, I I did a, an exercise back in college, and I I went to college on the, uh, the, the Blutarski scholarship, uh, sponsored by Anheuser Push. Uh, truthfully, I, I did not make it through all four years in college. It just wasn't a place for me, but one of the best experiences 
I ever had with with uh, um, uh, a, a teacher was Professor Heilmeyer, and she took me through a self awareness exercise in a public speaking class that I took, which was life altering. I still have the the uh, the project that she graded. I got the highest grade in the class, first time and only time it ever happened for me. But it made such an impact on me. I still have it today, and Ron's probably laughing right now because I still have a copy of it, and it changed everything for me. It, it really forced me to be honest with myself. And I think that's what you're referring to, having the ability to be honest with yourself and then use that and leverage it to create a level of self-efficacy that drives you. All right. That gives you the opportunity to pursue everything you're talking about in life. But uh, we are yeah. coming up on, on the top of the hour. I have one question that I really want to ask you because you mentioned in one of your podcast episodes uh, that you want to help the folks that you don't want a penny from, that you just want to help folks that don't necessarily have the means um, but would need and deserve the opportunity to speak with you. And I, I love the fact that you do that. I think it just speaks to who you are. Here's the question I have for you. If I was to, to hand you uh, a magic cell phone that you could go back and call yourself at the lowest point that you've had in your life, um, what would you say and how would you speak to yourself? I'm curious. What would you tell yourself? <laughs> um, man, it's a really good question. Uh, you know, I'm reminded in those times and the first time that I managed to achieve, and it's going to sound uh, interesting. Here's some counterintuitive for you. The first time I achieved failure, I want people to remember the way I'm phrasing that. Mm -hmm. I didn't experience failure. I achieved failure. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I put <laughs> I put it as an achievement because if failure leads to success, then why is that not equally an achievement to mm -hmm. the success itself? So in my earliest days when I achieved significant levels of failure, um, I hadn't been introduced yet. Uh, to the great Zig Ziglar. Um, I started getting exposed to Zig Ziglar probably in the 80s. Mm -hmm. I want to say early 80s, maybe, with Think and Grow Rich. I, I mean, with uh, See You at the Top. See great stop. book. Um, first line in that book, you could get everything you want in life by helping enough other people get what they want. Brilliant. Amen. It's a law of indirect effort for anybody mm -hmm. who's keeping score out there. That's all that is. But... I had the opportunity to be around Zig on a number of occasions. And, you know, he said something that I think is so appropriate for that question. He said, failure is an event, not a person. And so that's what I would say to that younger version of myself is that failure is an event, not a person. In other words, you're not a failure. Okay. You, you failed in that particular effort, uh, that particular pursuit. And the reality is, I'll say to that younger version of me, what I say to everybody today, and that is that relentless cannot be defeated. So provided, young David, that you are relentless, that you never stop, that you never quit, that you never slow down, that you never lose your intensity, your focus, your urgency, your purpose, your intention, then you are a when and not an if. And oh, that's, that's really all that matters. 
That that is the answer that I was hoping for, uh, just in terms of its gravity and its depth, but also in its simplicity and, and clarity. Uh, and that is it in a nutshell. You 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 crystallized exactly what every every person. I was going to say every young person, but every person needs to know because even the folks that are a little more on in years as I am, uh, you know, uh, you've got to hear that and you've got to understand. Uh, the the message behind that message that you just shared with us. It's a great answer. I appreciate that. Um, I, my friend, I want to thank you. You know, you uh, we, we got introduced to each other through Business Bourbon and Cigars with Scott Joseph. We have another one coming up in September, which I'm wildly looking forward to. Um, you are one of the people that I always look forward to seeing. You always bring um, you bring something different to that experience that nobody else does. And so I want to thank you for uh, your support there uh, you. and, and your commitment to to us because it's a commitment to the, the community, if you will, that we built. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing you for sure in September. But I want to thank you more so for being who you are, because as I've had the chance to really deep dive into your podcast, and I want to plug it again, the David Spizak Show. If you are not listening to that podcast on a regular basis, I turn my kids onto it, my wife, anybody that will listen to me, because I think that the message uh, of the podcast is uh, relevant and important. Uh, you need to check it out. And um, I say, can I say one thing really quick, just because sure. this put the biggest smile on my face and anybody who's a parent will relate to this. So about a month ago, we had to take our, uh, our sons to a birthday party. It was about 30 minutes away. Um, and we needed multiple cars because we were taking uh, one of the, the boys had his friends with him. So we were giving them a ride. And so my daughter, my older daughter, Elise, I've, I've, I have fatherhood 1.0 and 2.0. Right. <laughs> and I mentioned Jackson and Jagger. Well, I have two really extraordinary kids, Elise and Trey. Um, Trey's 34, Elise is 38. And so Elise, when we moved to Oregon, she moved up here as well about six months later because we have a very good relationship. Um, she's very close also with my wife, and she absolutely adores her little brothers. So as always, she was stepping in to help and she was driving my oldest back from the party. And when we got home and Jackson ran down the hallway to go play, she said, she said, I have to tell you something. And I said, what's that? She said, well, when I got in the car and he strapped him into his seat, uh, he strapped himself into a seat. Um, I started to put the music on and he said, can we listen to my dad's podcast? Oh, that is, that is. And and that, like that's as, that's as big of a smile as I've ever had on my face. And so what was awesome about that is he started talking about it uh, and his little brother was around. And the next day we get in the car, the four of us and Jagger, the little one says, um, can we listen to your podcast? <laughs> Great. And so those are the only two subscribers I ever had. <laughs> No, that's not true. I, I've got his. I've no, got I'm his. saying if if they were the only two. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I'd yeah. be like, I'd be in heaven. I'd of be course. good because that's that's as good as it gets to be able to take anything that we've experienced or survived, learned, um, and sh be able to share that with people that we love, including our family and our kids. But to have that happen, that was. If somebody asked me a high point in my life, that's definitely one of the big high points in my life. Yeah. So thank you for bringing up the podcast. I love doing it. And people will notice that most of the people I interview, you've probably never heard of, but you want to know of them. And by the way, I'll say this, Sandy, uh, I've got one this afternoon with a gentleman named Todd 
I learned about them through the Business Insider uh, articles that I read. And I learned about this extraordinary young guy, he's 29 years old, who's just doing amazing things in real estate without money. And, and I needed to learn more. So I reached out to him on LinkedIn. We connected on LinkedIn just a few weeks ago. And I asked him if he wanted to be on the podcast and he's going to be on today. So I have no doubt, 29 years old, guy made a million and a half dollars last year doing something that nobody, probably 95% of the people out there have never thought was even possible. And so I, I think it's it. going to be, a, I want to introduce people to uncommon people doing uncommon things, living extraordinary lives. They don't have to be celebrities. They don't have to be famous in order to live a very uncommon life. Well, I, I share uh, your, your purpose there because when we hatched the concept for icons, influencers, and inspirations, I very purposefully put those three together because it doesn't matter whether or not everybody knows who you are. Uh, they can be influenced and inspired by you. If you happen to be an icon too, fantastic. Uh, and I, as I said, I put you in that category. Um, if you check all three boxes, wonderful. But if you check one or two of the three, we're good. And it creates incredible content that people will not find anyplace else. And so I'm going to keep plugging your podcast because I am that much of a fan, the David Spizak okay. show. Uh, you're across all the different platforms that are out there. So it's easy for them to find it. Um, they can find you at davidspizak.com as well as uh, all the other businesses that you're involved in, in terms of uh, ownership and equity, but also in terms of uh, advisory positions. Uh, and so I encourage people to check out David's website as well. Um across the board in terms of social media. So if you are not following David Spizak uh, on all the social media platforms, uh, I don't know what the hell you're waiting for, but here's your invitation. Get going and follow him. Uh, David, any parting thoughts before we uh, wrap it up here? Well, I just first and foremost want to thank you. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Sandy, to um, have the opportunity to meet you. I thank Scott Joseph for uh, facilitating that. Again, here you go, law of indirect effort, right? Yep. Um, I simply, he had asked me to, to come a, a, a couple of times ago on, out to Kentucky, which is definitely not easy to get to from Portland, right. Oregon. I know it because I come from the East Coast. I suffer the same malady. It was, uh, it was, it was uh, definitely worth the trip. And that's the reason I came back and, and was in Tampa a couple months ago. But, you know, one of the many benefits of that uh, is, the, is networking. And, yep. you know, networking is so powerful in both our personal and our professional lives because, it can enhance and enrich uh, anybody's life in so many different ways. And so it's been a pleasure to get to know you. It's a, a pleasure to be on here. I thank you for the invitation. Wishing you and your family and your listeners all the very best. And um, just, you know, want everybody out there to take the time uh, to put some focus on themselves, to be a little bit selfish and to take the time to un come to understand that because of your own personality traits, their personal attributes, their work experience, life experience, the people that they met, the things they've experienced and the things they've survived, you know, they are literally one of one. They are uncommon. So I, I hope that they take the time to come to that realization so that they can also live an uncommon life. Well, my friend, it, it's been my pleasure. It's my high honor. Uh, I'm humbled that you took the time uh, to spend with us here today. I know that there's going to be uh, an opportunity for folks to really take a, a hard listen 
to what you shared with us today. And as I say, I always encourage them to listen to it more than once because you'll hear something different each and every time you listen to it. But uh, I want to thank one of the things, Sandy, so important. You know, if you listen, whether you're listening to this podcast, you're listening to Sandy, you're listening to myself, you're listening to anybody else. If you hear something that resonates with you, um, go one step further, reach out to them, uh, whether it's on uh, Instagram, I'll, I'll just, I'll clue somebody up to something I was clueless about. Mm-hmm. And that's if you DM somebody on Instagram, but you don't follow them, it goes into this black hole general mailbox that they're never going to see. Yep. So make sure you follow that person first, but reach out on LinkedIn, reach out on clubhouse, reach out on Instagram. The one thing that one of the great things about social media, it's never been easier to connect with somebody you've never met before, but somebody who you feel like you should know. Um, Absolutely. So do that. No, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, we, we encourage folks always to follow our guests on the, uh, the podcast properties that we run right now. As a matter of fact, it gives me an opportunity to say thank you and, uh, and acknowledge our producer, Mr. Ron Marbo. Uh, he is the right-hand guy at Sandy Surrounding Associates. And so uh, I want to thank him for putting it all together for us uh, on the back end. He's backstage right now, and he's probably giving me a, a smile here because that's all this guy does is smile. He's such a unique character. He's awesome. but he really he's awesome. is. He's, he's, probably in hair and, he's probably in hair and makeup right now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the guy he's looks look. so good. He looks so good all the time. And, and by the way, I, you know, uh, the, the – I have to also thank, you know, uh, Armand and Austin in, in my office because likewise they produce and direct, uh, you yep. know, uh, they're so incredibly talented in what they do. And, um, uh, and so I, any, everything that anybody hears me say or do on Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, TikTok, they're just starting on TikTok or, or any of the podcasts, it doesn't happen without those without those guys. And there's a I'm couple other you. guys. Uh, Chris Peterson as well does phenomenal work. Franklin, I'm just very blessed to be surrounded with some really talented people. Well, it goes both ways, my friend. I mean, they have an opportunity to uh, to go tuition free and hang with uh, with David Spizak, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's only good things that come as a result of that. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to step up to stand out. I want to thank everybody for joining us here today. Please remember to give us likes, shares, comments, etc. Subscribe to the YouTube channel for more great content coming up. David, I want to thank you once again. I wish you and your family an incredible weekend. Uh, and I look forward to seeing you very soon, my friend. Thank you. You as well. And thanks for having me on. Thank Appreciate you, my it. friend.